would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. What we're going to read tonight um, is the passage which unveils, in a sense, Jesus' heart for his, his people. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, this event took place on Maundy Thursday. So Thursday of Holy Week, he celebrated the Passover with his disciples in the upper room. And what we're reading now is what occurs right after they leave the upper room. So Jesus with his disciples. I'm reading Luke 22. I'm reading at verse 39 through 46. And as I read, let me remind us all together this morning, this evening, excuse me, that that this is God's Holy word, these aren't the words of any mere man. This is the perfect counsel of God. And he came and went out, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, And knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples And found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And may God bless the preaching of his word. Let me ask you, do you have a place where you go to enjoy a particular kind of rest? A place of solace? Does a a place come to mind when I ask you that question. Perhaps it's a peaceful spot. It could be in your home. It could be somewhere else. It's a place where you can be quiet, where you can be removed from the distractions of life, where you can think and pray, uh, perhaps read your Bible and fellowship with your Lord. This could be a place that represents just a, a place of solace, a place of worship and remembrance. Well, that place for Jesus was the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. So this was a mount that was just outside the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus would often, Luke tells us this, it was his practice, Jesus would often go there, both with his disciples. He would go there to talk to them and pray with them. He would also rise early in the morning to go there to have fellowship with his Father. He loved going to the Garden of Gethsemane because there he found wonderful fellowship with his father. And he loved that fellowship and he went there. It wasn't like he didn't have to drag himself out of bed to get up to go there early. He loved to go because he was with his father. But on this evening, the garden that represented such joy and peace and And fulfillment for him became a garden of grief. It became a a garden, in fact, of agony. For there Jesus met with his father once again in prayer. But his prayer was very different because he was asking 
his father if the cup that he was to drink could be taken away from him. And in these moments, dear friends, Jesus experienced a depth of agony unlike any in the history of the world. No agony by no person throughout the halls of history have ever experienced agony like what Jesus experienced in the garden. So the question that we ask is, why this agony? Why this distress? What was it about this evening that caused him such agony? Jesus, after all, he was one who was known to be familiar with suffering. He was called by the prophet Isaiah, a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He knew suffering. He experienced rejection. He was familiar with pain. He regularly, in his travels, he regularly encountered the unbelief of Israel. He knew what it was like not to have a place to lay his head. He knew what it was like to be out of favor with other people. Jesus knew sorrow. Yet on this evening, there was a descending grief that was coming upon him as he was there in that garden. This was an agony like never before experienced. So much was his agony that it caused him, caused a physical reaction in his body that caused him to sweat like drops of blood. The agony was so intense. Why was the agony so intense? Was he in agony of the anticipation of his betrayal? Was he in agony? Was he suffering because... He knew he'd be mocked and beaten and scorned the next day. Was it the rejection of Israel which caused such sorrow deep within his soul? Well, while those realities certainly touched his humanity, they were not the grief that caused him such sorrow on this evening in the Garden of Gethsemane. No, it was the cup that he must drink that caused him such overwhelming grief and sorrow. It was the cup, and that's why he prayed three times, in fact, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. This account is recorded also in Matthew and in Mark, and so we get the full picture as we read each of the three gospel accounts. Three times he prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Well, what was in this cup? Why did he want it so badly to be removed from him? Well, it was the cup of God's righteous wrath against sin, his righteous judgment against sin. Sin is what separates us from a holy God. And though we were the ones who had sinned, though we were the ones who sinned, God, out of his great love for you and me, God promised to provide an offering for sin. And Jesus was going to become that offering for sin. And as that reality descended upon him in the garden of grief, in the garden of Gethsemane, he was overcome. In fact, in Mark's telling of this same story, it says he fell down. Luke says that an angel needed to come and attend to him. Such was the depth of his grief. He was now becoming the sin bearer for all of the sins who would ever believe 
Never before in eternity past had Jesus experienced this kind of discord with his father. In fact, he'd never experienced the slightest degree of discord with his father. For all eternity past, he had beautiful, perfect, unhindered fellowship with his father. Have you ever experienced fellowship with someone, you know, friendship with someone that's just like really sweet? It's really enjoyable. We get glimmers of this kind of fellowship here in our lives, though, though we're sinners all we, you know, and we can fail one another. There are moments, aren't there? There are times when we've experienced, at least some of us, we've experienced a, just a yoking, a kinship with someone. And it's like, man, we're getting along when it's going well. It's, it's just a beautiful thing. That's what Jesus had in perfection all the time with his father. And so when he faced the cup of God's wrath, he trembled. He was in agony. He was deeply sorrowful. Matthew says deeply sorrowful even to the point of death. Christ was facing the wrath of his father as he looked into this awful, this terrible cup before him. Think about what went into that cup with me for a moment. What went into that cup was every sinful thought, every sinful deed, every rebellious inclination of our hearts, all of the sins of his people throughout all history for all time were placed into that terrible cup and it was poured into the heart of Christ. This is why he was in such agony. This is why he was sorrowful to the point of death. He who knew no sin ever once in his life, he who knew no sin would now become sin. For us. And in that garden, as this reality descended upon Christ, he needed an angel to come and strengthen him. Even his good friends, the disciples, he brought them there because he was looking. I mean, he was the God man, and, and in his humanity, he was looking for some support. And, and what did his, his friends do? He, he asked them, hey, would you, would you pray with me or pray here so that you don't fall into temptation? And, and he went off to pray in, in great agony and he came back and he found them sleeping. And then he woke them up and said, hey, could you, could you, could you pray with me? And then he went off again and, and he came back and found them sleeping a second time and didn't bother to wake them up and went off to pray a third time. Even his close friends in this moment had let him go. Even his close friends were not there for him as he became the sin bearer. Chris read it earlier, but it bears repeating here. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And this is what's happening here. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus, the Son of God, the one in whom is all perfection, never a moment of sin was becoming sin for us. 
And as the representative of all that sin, he would be forsaken by his father on the cross. For the first time in all eternal history, his father would turn his face away from his son. He had never experienced that before. He had never experienced that pain and that discord, not only of his father's face being turned away, but the wrath of God against sin born out on our Savior. That's why he cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was the source of his grief in the garden on that night. Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but but yours be done. Jesus appealing to his Father, is this the only way? And the wisdom of infinite love responds, Son, drink the cup, all of it, for the sake of many. (laughs) Dear friends, We're rightly sobered by these things because Christ has drunk the cup. And so part of this is remembering, but but part of this is immense and incredible joy because the good news of Good Friday is that he did, in fact, drink the cup all the way. He drank it all the way so that everyone who ever turns to him will be forgiven and will be saved. So, uh, like the hymn writer who says, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? What a great exchange. He gets punished and I go free. Amazing love, how can it be? That thou, my God, shouldst die for me. What does the garden, dear friends, of Gethsemane teach us? It teaches us, firstly, that our sins have deeply separated us from God. If forgiveness cost God the life of his Son, then that shows how deep a chasm sin has left between us and God. A a chasm that no amount of good works could ever bridge. No amount of self-righteous acts could ever make that two come together. Dear friends, as as we think about the depth of God's holiness and the depth of our sin... These two could never come together. So that's what the Garden of Gethsemane reminds us, that our sins have deeply separated us from holy God. Secondly, it reminds us that God's love is greater than we can imagine. Do you know that song? For you are greater than we can imagine. That's what his love shows us. The cup of wrath that Jesus drank On Friday, the cup of wrath that Jesus drank on Friday was deep and it was wide. But there was something that was deeper and wider still, and it is the love of God. And so by drinking the cup of wrath, God demonstrated to us a love that is unfounded. 
It's immeasurable. It was love that compelled God the Father to send His Son to the cross for you. It was love that compelled Jesus to willfully give up the glories of heaven and walk the Damascus road for you. It was love that caused God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit to resurrect Jesus on Sunday for you so that we could have and know eternal life. Dear friend, if you ever question, and there are times and seasons, aren't there, in our lives when we can question the love of God. If you ever question the love of God for you, look to the cross. Because on display at the cross is the perfected love of God as Jesus in his simultaneous act of glory and human shame is exalted above the earth for all to see. And in his exaltation, he is drawing from all four corners of the earth people to himself. The cross becomes the throne as he redeems people from all over the world, from all history. He draws them into one family for his glory. The cross shows us that God's love is greater than we could ever imagine. He took my sins, I go free. It was my sin that held him there, and it was his love that caused him to die for me. Sinclair Ferguson, reflecting on the cross, says this, When we think of Christ dying on the cross, we are shown the lengths to which God's love goes in order to win us back to himself. We almost think that God loved us more than he loves his son. We cannot measure his love by any other standard. He is saying to us, I love you this much. The cross is the heart of the gospel. It makes the gospel good news. Christ died for us. He has stood in our place before God's judgment seat. He has borne our sins. God has done something on the cross which we could never do for ourselves. But God does something to us as well as for us through the cross. He persuades us that he loves us. Amen. He persuades us. That he loves us. Third thing that is evident through what was happening in the Garden of Gethsemane is that he bore our shame so that we don't have to. And this is, this is what we're going to celebrate full time on Sunday morning through Resurrection Sunday. For all who believe in Christ's substitutionary death, all who place their faith not in their own works or in their own selves in order to accomplish salvation, but all who place their faith and trust in Jesus and in his death on the cross, for all who believe their sins are washed away. Your, your slate has been wiped clean by the blood of the Lamb. He bore the burden of your shame so you don't have to bear it anymore. In a room this size, I know that there's history here. That there are some of us who have done things that even still to this day cause us 
to experience shame. Christ died for that sin, dear friends. Christ died that that shame could be taken away from us. Christ died that the stain of sin could no longer mar us. And he took our shame so we no longer have to walk in it. Praise the Lord. So regardless of your past, if you have placed your faith in Christ, then today you are shameless. You are without shame. Maybe for some of us who have grown up in the church and been around a while, we, we might forget what it's like to be experiencing shamelessness for the first time. But I was talking with someone recently who had not that long ago been very aware of the shame of their personal decisions in their lives. And when they came to know the free gift of God through the forgiveness of Christ, (laughs) their face changed. Do you know what I mean? Their countenance was different. No longer did they have this weight and this sorrow, but a lightness, a joy. In fact, who was it but Jesus who says, come to me, my, my yoke is what? It's easy. My burden is light. See, Jesus came to take away our shame so we don't have to bear it anymore. It blesses the Lord when we rejoice in the joy of the Lord. And by the way, you know, we, we talk about Jesus as a man of sorrows, and that is totally true. I mean, it's what Scripture says, so we believe that that's true. However, I don't believe for a moment that Jesus, though he was a man of sorrows, he was one who was familiar with suffering, I don't believe for a moment that Jesus walked around with a gloomy face because he had peace with God, right? Right? Because he knew the joy of his connection with his father and it was perfect. So he's not going to go around with gloom and doom on his face. Yes, he was acquainted with suffering. Yes, he was familiar with sorrows. But I believe Jesus must have been the most joyful person on the planet. Because he had peace with God. Because he never knew a day of sin in his life. And for all eternity, he was enjoying fellowship with his father. So, dear friends, we now move to celebrate this very thing that we've come to remember tonight. So I want to invite the ushers to uh, begin the distribution of the communion meal as we have opportunity to celebrate and rejoice together in what God has done. You, you may remember, you may recall, uh, I say this especially for perhaps our guests, that the, the communion elements represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Scripture also compels us to say that the communion meal is reserved for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. So if that describes you, please join with us in this communion meal of the Lord. If you have yet to place your faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, uh, allow the elements to pass you by. And while, while they do, I appeal to you, I exhort you, would you come to Christ even now? Would you place your faith in the one who came 
to die in your stead. That you might not have to look into that cup of wrath. Because God is just and He will judge every last person. And if we refuse the free gift of salvation that Jesus came to offer us, we will endure His punishment in hell. That is the reality of Scripture. So let me appeal to you. Would you turn to Christ tonight? Just before Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, I said this a moment ago, they were celebrating the Passover meal in the upper room. Now, what was the Passover meal remembering? The Passover meal was remembering the time when Israel, who was captive in Egypt, and God sent plagues to Egypt. God told them that, hey, a a plague of death is coming, and the firstborn son of every family will be required, unless you take a perfect, spotless lamb, one without any blemish, and sacrifice that lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorposts of your house. And if you do that in faith and you have the blood on the doorpost of your house, when the angel of death comes to kill And so as he celebrated that Passover meal with the blood, excuse me, with the, the, the bread and the wine, so we now too together in this evening celebrate the Passover meal together. The Apostle Paul records for us the following. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Thank you. Do this in remembrance of me. Dear friends, as we hold this bread in our hand, this is the reminder of the body of Christ, which was broken for you. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the cup together. And we say together, Lord, with one voice, in one spirit in this room, we say together now, Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you came to do what we could never accomplish. Thank you that you came to earth and left the glories of heaven to come and, and bear up the sins of all of your people. Thank you that in that garden when you stared into the cup of wrath that the Father would pour out upon you. Thank you that you are willing to do the will of the Father. For as the Father loved the Son, so you demonstrated your love for us in pouring your life out for us. And so... God, on this evening, together we say now, thank you for the cross. Thank you for saving us.
Thank you for loving us to the degree that it cost you your son. We love you. We worship you. We celebrate you because you have washed us clean. You have made us new. We no longer carry around in our body the stain of our sin. You have taken our guilt and shame. You have done it. We praise you, Lord, and we worship you, God. Receive now the offering of our hearts, and it's praise to you, Almighty Father. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.